Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. I want to thank you for joining me here on Real Fun DC. Um, so if it's your first time checking in, uh, I cover the DC food and wine and hospitality scene and have done so for the last 18 years. Uh, you may hear me on my food and wine variety show that's just celebrated 13 years on air, Foodie and the Beast. Or perhaps you hear me on WTOP doing trend reports and roundups on what's happening in the hospitality industry. Uh, the only place for food and wine events in the DC metro area is the listareyouonit.com, the online e-zine that does not sell but does tell you everything that is happening. And of course, you should be following me on social at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So now this show, Industry Night, which I love doing, is really a deeper dive, whereas Foodie and the Beast is like fast and furious. There's lots of booze. There's lots of food. There's lots of fun. It's not that this is not fun. It's just that we get to get a little more serious and talk about the workings of things. Uh, but first, before we dig in to this week's guests, um, where have I been? Usually I tell you where I've been eating and what's been opening in the DC market, um, but I have been traveling and it's been really fun. So I did head out to Tucson uh, to see uh, my daughter Tess, who is now at the University of Arizona. We stayed at the really lovely Lowe's of Ventana Canyon Resort. I think if you're going out uh, to the Tucson area, um, there are thousands of resorts because it's beautiful out there. And uh, the Lowe's is set in the canyon so that if you look to the left, you see the desert. And if you look to the right, you see the mountains. It's um, really beautiful and really lowers your blood pressure. Uh, so I did not send any of my other kids to the West Coast for school. And given that she's my last, I'm really starting to regret that because going up North is not nearly as fun as it is to go out West. Um, a couple of restaurants to take note. We stopped at this place called Wildflower, which is really fresh and light and has a beautiful menu. And they did these rice flour dredged calamari rings. Calamari is not a usual order for me. I don't have a problem with it. It's just not something, especially if it's fried, that I gravitate towards. But these were really, really crispy and really light and not greasy at all. And you could really taste the fish, which I find does not happen a lot with uh, fried calamari. We also stopped at Maynard's Market, which is really cool. It's in an old train station and it's surrounded by all this really rich history uh, that they tell you about at Tucson. And um, Chef Brian Smith and his team are serving up their take on the regional fair. And uh, they were just both great meals and worth mentioning. Then from Tucson, we went on to LA to see another child. Uh, Jason and his wife just had their new baby, Kit which is short for Atkinson. But uh, as grandparents, we have renamed him Kitty Cat because he is absolutely delicious. Um, and it was such a joy to have that time with him. But since I'm in LA, of course, I'm going to visit and see what's happening in LA. So we stayed at the proper, which is a Kelly Wurstler design property. Kelly Wurstler has a really eclectic style, but she really captured that boho California chic style. Um, the lobby is filled with over 50 styles of chairs. And I'm not just talking about West Elm or Mitchell and Gold, not that there's anything wrong with either, but each chair was like its own piece of art. And um, plant lover alert. 
the rooftop had at least $250,000 worth of plants. I, I, I think that's kind of short. It could have been more, but I've never seen so many massive, gorgeous plants and pots in my life. And the pool is glorious. And we totally soaked up some sun and a little rosé and dined at the Calabra restaurant. So if you're hand, hand, um, heading out to the Santa Monica area, the proper is a delightful place to stay. You're only about five blocks from the beach. Uh, we did stop on Main Street at Crudo y Nudo, which is this sustainable seafood market and wine shop. Um, and it has a very limited menu, but everything we had was super fresh and super delicious and their wine offerings were terrific. Sidecar donuts. I don't know how I've been to LA so many times and I've never had sidecar donuts, but now that I've had them, I am never going to LA and not getting them. Um, I mean, I like donuts. I'm not a gotta have it kind of donut person, uh, but these are cakey and gooey and doughy and they're so yummy. So uh, definitely put that on your list. I went to the Ivy and I never have to go back because we have a Cafe Mulatto here and it's exactly the same thing. Um, and lastly, we did stop at Cassia, which uh, features the cuisine of Southeast Asia and it's really vibrant and super bright. And they actually feature a lot of product from the Santa Monica Farmer's Market, which David and I also got to walk through and it is a fabulous market. Um, I mean, I could go on about my trip. And if you're curious, you can always check out my Instagram feed and uh, my Insta stories for all the details. Um, but speaking of farmers markets, uh, later in the show, Nick Carter, who is co-founder and CEO of Market Wagon, which is this online marketplace that connects food consumers directly with local farmers and artisans. Now, Nick is focused on helping farmers get their products to local consumers in a sustainable way. We're going to get to that. But first, good friend Ruth Gresser joins me. Uh, during the pandemic, Ruth partnered with a variety of really women and did a lot of incredible work. Uh, and she did pop-ups and offerings and gift baskets and dinners. I mean, they were all so creative in what they were doing. But what's really interesting is one of those pop-ups is now permanent. So Ruth, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure, always. So let's talk about it. I mean, you and I did talk during the pandemic you were moving and grooving, trying to shake things any way you could to, you know, keep the lights on. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, talk about what life was <laughs> was like a year and a half like ago, a but why? Right. right. <laughs> let's talk about where we are now. How about that? Uh, going from there to here has has certainly been a very interesting journey, and. Um, uh, you know, the thing that that we're talking about today is kind of as we are all hoping that we are really coming out of it. And I will say that I have always been on the very conservative side of things and I'm starting to feel hopeful. So I'm taking that as a really good sign. Mm -hmm. um, but as we're coming out, the question sort of is in front of all of us, what's gonna stay, you know, what sticks? And the, the pop-up that we did with, with Diane Gross of, of Cork um, at our Spring Valley location is definitely one of the things that I'm really excited about um, sticking. Um, we, so we, what was it about it? I mean, you Diane came out there and did these more wine pop-ups originally, right? Wasn't yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
what was it about the concept that either resonated not just with you and Diane, but obviously the neighborhood? Exactly. And did they sort of give you feedback like, oh, we would like this or we would like that? Like, how did it evolve and come to what it is right now? So it, it really started um, back, you know, in the summer of 2020 when, when I made some connections um, with local women and national um, colleagues um, to bring a group of women together to kind of support each other through what was happening um, during the pandemic. And lots of things came out of that. And you mentioned a few. Um, and, and one of the things that Paradiso really embraced about it was the collaboration. Mm. Um, and we started collaborating in the fall of 2020 with this group of women doing dinners and doing um, a, a, a food festi festival across all of our locations. Um, and as you said, the, the holiday baskets. And one of the things that came out of it was a was a one on one collaboration between Paradiso in Spring Valley and Cork, and it really did. It resonated with the neighborhood, um, and you know, at that time, people were staying in their neighborhoods mm -hmm. completely, and so from that idea of bringing other things around DC to Spring Valley. We worked with Quark, we worked with um, Jamie Leeds at Hanks, we worked with, with uh, Riss at Riss, um, you know, we worked with, uh, with Puddin, um, and actually we're still selling her bread pudding. Um, mm -hmm. She's having a supply chain problem right this second, but... Um, so but the, the, nature, the nature of the beast at the moment. Exactly, exactly. We, we brought in some uh, Ethiopian food from um, Yamrot at Leitena, you know, and we sold it from our, our Spring Valley location. And it just seemed like it was something that did really resonate with the neighborhood. Um, and, you know, Cork is a wine store and market on 14th Street. And so incorporating both of those pieces of bringing um, bringing uh, meals and products from around the city to that neighborhood along with the wine made sense. Um, and of course, the other thing that businesses are looking at is the, you know, as we're looking towards one day, um, having full dining rooms, we're not there yet. And, um, and what happened for me in Spring Valley and is happening pretty much everywhere is outside dining is becoming more prominent and inside dining has contracted. Mm -hmm. um, inside dining contracted. And um, in addition, the other thing that, that expanded was, was carry out. And of course we, we're a pizza place. Right. You already had carry out <laughs> so, locked up, yeah. right? So we're, we're a natural for people to, to, to think of when they think of, of, of carry out and delivery. And it's really a nice thing that for customers that, you know, this, the, 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 the um, higher quality pizza mm -hmm. um, is now much more accessible to being brought to their door. Right. Um, so, so I sort of see, particularly in that neighborhood, needing less dining room because not less inside dining room on the long, long term, you know. And, um, and so the idea of taking a space inside of that location to be able to bring, you know, uh, bring DC to Spring Valley is kind of the impetus behind it. 
Well, I love that idea because no matter what, you got to pay per square foot anyway, right? Like the space is there and you are ahead of the game in that you already had the takeout ability. It's not, whereas some restaurants, now that indoor dining is coming back, they they can't do both. They can't right. do takeaway and indoor dining. Right. You don't have the capacity. I mean, right. pure and simple. So when it came to partnering with Diane and Khaled and, and bringing Cork Market to you, were, did you sort of collaborate on the products that you offered or were you, because her, her offering on 14th Street, I mean, she's got great stuff. And I mean, obviously her wine offering, she's really into old world wine. So she right. it's a real sweet spot. But um, were there things that you were like, well, these are things that I want at this store because either of what Paradiso does or your personal tastes or, or the partners you worked with uh, during the pandemic? Diane is is the is really the the force behind filling the market items or filling the product list, um, but we uh, collaborated on kind of the group of people that we're going to engage initially, and it's it's a work in progress, and and it's going to change because you know, we're going to see what our customers are interested in. Mm -hmm. And like one of the things that, that seems to work really well is sort of a family meal that you know, we, have, we have refrigerators and freezers. So you know, a pre-made or, or you know, prepared meal that you can just take home and heat up for, mm -hmm. for a family of four is, is kind of a sweet spot for that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, some of the people that, that we are talking to or have in the in the in-house are some of the same that I started collaborating with uh, last spring. Hmm. Which is great because you're really giving a platform to some people who really wouldn't have that access or that absolutely right. A absolutely, absolutely. Because the, the collaboration started as a women's collaboration, Paradiso last February. We, we did a collaboration um, with the Georgetown Butcher during um, uh, Black History Month. Mm -hmm. You know, we did a collaboration with Danny Lee during Asian American Month. So, right. so we, we, we are highlighting uh, women and minority owned businesses. Which is terrific. Well, yeah. listen, I, I really appreciate you taking some time with um, me today and to let everybody know about uh, the new retail space uh, at, Paris, at Paradiso in Spring Valley. Um, you are coming on Foodie and the Beast eventually with Diane. You guys are going to pour some wine soon. Absolutely. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram, please. Uh, we're at Eat Your Pizza. Excellent. Thanks so much, Ruth. It's yeah, awesome thank you. It's Industry Night with Mickey Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Nick Carter, I think he's from a boy band, but that's not who's on today. Uh, innovator, author, fourth generation Indiana farmer, and he is passionate about using innovation to reconnect, and I'm reading this here, agri and culture together. And he has this really fascinating um, concept that is well executed and being used called Market Wagon. It has launched recently in the DC and Maryland market. Uh, and we're gonna talk about it. So, hey, Nick, how are you? Good, thanks for having me, Nikki. 
Absolutely. I'm really um, intrigued about your concept and how you're doing it. So uh, before we dive in super deep into Market Wagon, let's get a little background on you. So you're a fourth generation farmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up on a small farm in uh, nowhere, Indiana, mm -hmm. and uh, would have stayed there had there been enough farm for me to, to make an income on when I was 18. But you know, all through those uh, high school years, you're meeting with your guidance counselor and talking about what the future holds and never was farming brought up. It just wasn't even an option. Isn't that fascinating? What, yeah, what we, farm was it? It was uh, when I was a kid, very diverse, you know, corn, soy, um, wheat, barley, oats. We did um, hay, alfalfa, dairy, beef, and pork. Mm. By the time I left for college, it was corn and soy. That was it. Wow. That's kind of the story of a lot of Midwestern farms consolidation and centralization really specialized farms, which wasn't good for small family farms. Right. And also not good for the climate, right? So not good for a lot of things. You're I right. mean, a diversified, I know very little about this, but I do know that a diversified farm mm -hmm. is not only good for the people who run it, but also good for the environment as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Using the, uh, the byproducts of, of animal lives for livestock agriculture right there where you're producing either um, grains or other crops makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. So you decide to leave farming, mm -hmm. but it's in your blood. It's in my blood. I became a tech entrepreneur. I had a, a software startup in Indianapolis, did pretty well at that. And uh, by the time I was 30, I was deciding well, what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and the answer was, I, I want to get back to the farm. I want to get my hands dirty again. Okay. And, um, that led me through the process of really trying to figure out how to make family farming a viable enterprise. And in order to do that, we had to be able to connect directly with the consumers who are looking for the sorts of food that we grow on our pastures. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so we have a need, right? You're the far farmers with the products. And yeah. then the consumer that's interested in those products. And I, I mean, granted, we just discussed what's happening to family farms, but there is yeah. this consumer out there and it's not just in uh, cities, you right. know, it's a, a smart consumer who under, who understands and appreciates uh, farmers market. I mean, the explosion of farmers markets across the country, you know, I don't have the data on my fingertips, but you want, you know that. So oh yeah. There's an interest. So how did, what were you trying to do? What did you, you didn't want to open up your own farmer's market. You wanted something else. Yeah, farmer's markets have exploded. You're right. They grew about 10X in 10 years, but that really started to slow down um, long about five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we, the reality is consumers are increasingly distrust, distrustful, like not trusting where the, the, their food is coming from at supermarkets and grocery store shelves. So they're looking for alternatives. They're looking for ways to know where their food comes from. I mean, and, hello, there's a salmonella outbreak with onions. Like every right other day. Now, right? Yeah. And, um, but what we figured out was that there's a lot more consumers who want to buy from a local farm where they know where the food came from mm -hmm. than can actually make it to a farmer's market on Saturday afternoon. And so um, e-commerce uh, and the internet kind of became this great equalizer. It's the ability to reach consumers who want to buy local. They want to know the farmer that's raising their food, but you know, we still have kids in sports, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose that's true. Um, so, okay, so you want to go online for this. 
Tell us a little bit how, you know, Market Wagon started and has now evolved because you launched when in 2016? We launched in 2016 with just a small little pilot here in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't even offer home delivery at the time. It was, uh, it was called Click and Collect. You would uh, order online and come pick it up. Um, and we were just trying to see if there was any interest in this, both on the farmer side as well as from the consumers. And, and there was. And by May of that year, we introduced home delivery and it started to really explode around uh, central Indiana. Mm. And we spent the next several years just figuring out what it looks like to launch multiple hubs, right? So how do we reproduce this success in a new city? And by March of 2020, we had opened six locations in Indiana and Ohio, and we were getting better at it. We had the process down. We knew how to, to start a new city. And then the world changed uh, in, in March of 2020. And I know, but it seems like you were what was needed, right? Because farmers markets had to shut down. Right. And restaurants weren't buying from the farm. I mean, everything stopped. It but was a perfect storm. Food. And we were in the, we were really, uh, it's, I, I joke that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. We were in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. And we had a solution that really met a major need for farmers whose channels were just shut off. The farmer's markets were closed. The local restaurants that they could support were closed. And they've been producing this amazing food and nowhere to go with it. And at the same time, consumers have to stay home and get it delivered. So we, um, over the last 14 months, we've moved from six cities to 37. Maryland was our 37th city, uh, or well, Baltimore, DC area, 37th region that we've opened. Uh -huh. And it's been a wild ride and uh, really exciting. We've just been um, just humbled at the opportunity to serve. So I'm, I like to geek out a little bit on the business model and understand. So when you come to an area like Maryland and DC, Baltimore, DC region, um, how do you communicate with the farmers? How do you make a way in? How do you present yourself? I mean, that's not easy to do, especially when they're used to a, a certain way of working, right? I mean, you're introducing a new concept. What are you trying to say, Nick? Are you trying to say that we can't teach old farmers new tricks? I'm saying that there are old farmers and young <laughs> farmers, and I've had a lot of them on my shows over the years. And there are some who are ready to do whatever it takes yeah, to stay alive and there are others who are like no 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 this is how it's done yeah you're, you're exactly right and we know that there are some farmers and also we, we use we say food producers there's chefs there's local artisans there's all kinds of producers of food on the marketplace um some some get it and want it and and some don't and mm -hmm. uh, when we come to town it's we have a whole business function here at our corporate headquarters it's called foraging that's the team they're called foragers their job is just to go find where these small farms are, find current vendors or farmers markets, go on Facebook marketplace and see who's trying to sell eggs uh, online. There's all kinds of ways we can get introduced to the people who are producing food. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some that have long established channels that this is how we do it. And we don't need anything new. And that's great for them. Mm -hmm. But there are, um, there's a wealth of producers who need new access to the markets. Farmers markets are full. A lot of times, if you fill out an application to become a vendor at a farmers market, they say, "No, we already have an egg vendor. We already have a cucumber vendor." Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a uh, a lot of opportunity that we're creating for new farmers, innovative farmers, to get going. Mm, very interesting. So okay, but you come to this market, yeah. which was a vibrant. I I mean, I Baltimore does too, but the D.C. market has a yeah. vibrant 
farmer market community with competing farmers markets. You have Fresh Farm, you have Central Farm, you have a lot of organic mm-hmm. ones. Uh, the ones in California, uh, in Virginia, have their whole their whole old thing over there. Uh, so, was that part a problem for you coming in, or farmers were like, no, 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 I can sell anywhere? No, it's not been a problem at all. Uh, okay. We it's really important to understand we don't compete with the farmer's markets. The people that go to a farmer's market to shop aren't going to stop doing that in order to shop online. They're mm-hmm. there because they like the experience and they like shopping that way. But right. there are, there's a whole population of consumers who would buy local food if it were just convenient and available to them. And to, that, to them, that means online with delivery. And that's what we offer. So for this market, how many vendors do you have? Uh, now you're testing my memory. Uh, I want to say 23 or 24 at this point. Okay. And they're everything from, is it artisans? Is it vegetables, eggs? Like give us a rundown of some of the kinds of vendors you have. Yeah, it's, um, we've got milk, eggs, um, meats, pasture-raised and grass-fed meats, Mm -hmm. as well as fresh produce. And then there's artisan uh, makers of sauces and cheese and even meal production. Okay. Um, Ruth, her pizzas and meals would be a great addition to the market. I know, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> um, well, there is a lot of that in DC. I mean, we are artisan rich um, with all the incubators um, out there that are really you know, putting, you know, like the union kitchens and the mess halls that are really putting on amazing uh, small producers of different products. Um, okay, so let's, um, let me take a break. When we come back, I'd love for you to like walk me as a consumer through the process of ordering and how I get it and et cetera. So this is Nikki Nellis. It's Industry Night. We'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, on Real Fun DC. I'm at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, And as I said at the beginning of the show, we're talking about getting uh, fresh farm produce and meats and dairy and et cetera to your house instead of going to the farmer's market or if you can't get to your local farmer market. And Nick Carter, who is co-founder and CEO of Market wagon is the one of the innovators behind this. So Nick, we were talking about this market wagon. It's just recently launched in the DC and Baltimore market. Um, how does a consumer, we talked about how the farmers mm-hmm. are using you. How does a consumer use you? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking this. It's, we try to keep it really simple. Just go to marketwagon.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the homepage, you can type in your zip code or use your, your device location to find out that we delivered to you. And once you've gone in, uh, you'll be able to just shop a la carte. There's no sign-up fees. There's no subscription or minimum orders or any long-term commitment. You just start um, browsing the products that are there. You can chat with the producers. So if you have questions about how the animals were raised or how the produce was fertilized or anything like that, it's the farmers who are answering the questions behind the scenes. So you can ask questions and then hopefully connect with some of your favorite growers you can follow your favorite producers on the platform and start receiving updates from them. It becomes a very social shopping experience. But once you've identified the items that you want, you fill your cart, hit checkout, and orders are, are due by Sunday night at midnight for delivery every Tuesday. So we deliver once a week to your door. On Tuesday. On Tuesday. Now, can we talk about delivery? Because, I mean, 
granted, uh, Market Wagon is sort of tailor-made for the last 18 months and, and moving forward, obviously, since you've expanded so greatly in such a short period of time. But there are disruptions and, and delivery is one of them. So okay. how do you guys manage that? Did you hire your own people or how does that work? Yeah, we use all of our own drivers. Um, it's a gig network, but they work directly with us. We're not outsourcing it to you know any other um, ride sharing or groups like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also, uh, we deliver in insulated totes with ice packs, mm-hmm. but we work, our technology is kind of a secret sauce, right? So it allows us to, to run on a very tight, just-in-time basis. So these items will show up at our fulfillment center the same day that they're going to show up at your doorstep. Okay. So we're not working on um, uh, like long lead times or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So the, the product is super fresh. Exactly. Thing. Now, you um, in the uh, materials that I originally received about you, um, it talked about you doing it sustainably. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but um, I don't specifically order uh, from grocery stores or any, I, I do as little ordering as possible because the amount of plastic yeah. that is used is very distressful to me. Yeah. Really. yeah. Like we, we, we could not leave the house for two weeks because we did get COVID. And um, uh, I ordered from Whole Foods and everything was double wrapped in plastic bags. And I, yeah. I will never do it again. I would never order from them again, specifically because of that. And it shows up to your doorstep in like a, a box made with styrofoam. It's all destined for a landfill. Right. Yeah. It's really um, upsetting. Our, our, our producers are, so none of this food has to travel very far. It goes straight from the farmer's hand into the, the tote that you're going to get. Um, and everything is in uh, returnable packaging. So our ice packs, our uh, totes, we, ret- we retrieve those and bring them back and reuse those every week after week after week. So we're not sending our packaging into landfills. Like you send it to me and then I can put it out for the next week. So you take That's it. That's exactly right. Back. Okay. As well as the egg cartons, the uh, glass bottled milk, all of those bottles go back to the producer and they're reused. We have all kinds of reusable packaging that's in a closed loop system in order to reduce the waste. Well, that is um, very enticing to me personally because it's important to me. Um, and I would assume it's enticing to your farmers as well, um, most of them at least, because yeah. it's important. Um, how, um, how do you get the word out to the consumer that you do this? And is there any sort of cost complaint? Like are consumers like your prices are too high or whatever? Cause that is, one of the most common complaints of farmers markets is that yeah. it's expensive and that it's a little elitist uh, because <laughs> it's so expensive. Um, I, I get that because not everybody can afford it and it is expensive. How do you handle that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult question because you're right. Uh, we, we don't set the prices. Our producers set the prices. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes they're, they're not comparable with uh, what you would find at a supermarket. Right. They... Um, the reality is it costs our producers what it costs to produce the food. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is that as consumer prices at the grocery store go up, because the actual cost of producing industrial food is now starting to be realized, mm-hmm. um, they are going up, but ours are not, because we've always been charging what it really costs to produce food. 
most of the cheap prices that we get, we've gotten addicted to at the supermarket are just the product of failed um, EPA policies and USDA subsidies. And um, those things have made the appearance of cheap food, made it seem like those who are producing real food are overcharging, but we're starting to see an equalization take place. Mm. Well, that, I mean, it does make sense to me, but now that leads me to the question, if there's no membership fee, where's the money made? How are you making money? We take a share of the revenue. With secret, I know you have a secret sauce, but where's the money being made? <laughs> <laughs> there's a share of revenue with the, with the producers. So we take okay. a percentage of the revenue. And there's also a 695 delivery fee that covers the cost of delivery. Okay. So, I mean, that seems reasonable. It certainly seems on par, if not less than, um, than what they would have to do at a farmer's market. Right. Um, as you're expanding into these markets and every market obviously is super different, um, are you learning things along the way that you're like, are you taking something from your market in Ohio and saying, oh, that may work here in the DC market? Or is there something that you've learned here in the DC market that you can apply to another market somewhere? Is there something new and interesting that evolve yeah. that is evolving given all the markets you're now in? Yeah, of course. We, we are learning. Um, it's like we got to run 37 experiments at one time. So right. we, we learned in a pressure cooker. Um, everything from just the best ways to, to route drivers for the least cost and, and um, to a couple of surprising things. One is that the grocery consumer in America is about the same everywhere. We, we really thought that every place would be different, um, but if, we, we have become a that? very- What does that mean? Country. What does huh? that mean? The grocery I mean, consumer is the same. What does that mean? Prices are about the same most places. Okay. Um, and- the, you know, the interest in like, for example, the leading product that most everybody is interested in on Market Wagon is either going to be milk or eggs. Those are some of the, and, and that has been true everywhere that we've gone is um, when people are looking for something different from what they could find at a supermarket, it usually starts with good fresh milk sure. or really good, rich orange yolk eggs, right? The eggs raised the right way or grass-fed beef or pork or poultry. Mm -hmm. um, having those things um, is important no matter where we're at and the, and the interests don't really change. Mm. What, is, what has been um, different is the kinds of produce that can be made, right? Um, Northern Pennsylvania has nothing but a thin layer of topsoil on top of a whole bunch of rock. Pretty difficult for them to grow produce there. Right. Here in Indiana, we love our sweet corn. Sweet corn season is, is kind of this like uh, ravenous time. But in other states, the sweet corn is actually not all that good. <laughs> but there's other things that they're very- Don't say that in New Jersey, man. They'll kill you in New Jersey. I'm just telling you. Silver corn in New Jersey is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Silver corn. Uh, is it silver queen? Silver yeah. queen. Yeah. Silver yes. queen in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody has their local flares like that. They're, they're produce that they're known for, or maybe a, a local artisan. And it's the job of our foragers to learn that and to understand what's unique about the different markets. That's very cool. And do you find that, uh, is there a, a stopgap for you as far as adding more vendors to each marketplace? Are you like, we're at 20, that's enough. That's all we can handle. Um, or do you look to continue to grow? Uh, we haven't found the limit yet. So in our, in our largest markets, we have over 200 vendors and yeah. we keep adding more because the demand is, is just insatiable and continues to grow. 
That is really, really incredible. Um, so for the DC Baltimore market, are those vendors shared between the two markets or are they Baltimore <laughs> and DC? Right, our, our fulfillment center is in Columbia, Maryland, and we okay. serve uh, the whole area from one distribution center. Okay, so it all works in the same. So if yep. I wanted to order, pardon me, something from the Baltimore area, I could because it's within this. Correct regional thing. Very cool. So what is next for Market Wagon? Well, uh, within the next couple of years, we want everybody in America to be able to order local food online uh, from their local farmers on Market Wagon. I think it sounds amazing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, I haven't had an opportunity to use it, uh, but I'm really looking forward to uh, downloading it and trying it. It has an app, yes? Yep. I, uh, iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, giving it a try, um, you have an, a really uh, terrific idea that uh, sort of transcends the pandemic as a way of um, helping farmers and helping consumers get uh, fresh and amazing food, which sounds terrific. Can you please tell everybody where they can find you uh, online and on Insta um, so that they can have access? Yeah, we are marketwagon.com. And we're just at Market Wagon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Excellent. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. So if you can't make it to the farmer's market, you now have another way to get fresh, good food to your door with uh, this amazing concept from uh, Nick Carter, Market Wagon. And you now know that there is now a Cork Market retail uh, in Spring Valley at Pizzeria Paradiso. So it was amazing to have both Nick and Ruth join me today. And uh, again, if you want to see more about my LA trip and Tucson travels, you can check me out on Instagram at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. Um, and I want to thank you all for joining me today. Some quick reminders. There is still staffing shortages, so please be kind to all the staff and all the restaurants and retail that you go to. Everybody's doing the best that they can, I swear. If you're asked to wear a mask, just wear one. If you haven't been vaccinated, I don't know what you're waiting for, just get one. Uh, and just please be safe and kind out there. I wanna thank you again for joining me on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'm Nikki Nellis, I'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.